In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents... Chrissy Teigen referred to Donald Trump as a pussy-ass bitch. Look, he's a sick puppy. He, he, shouldn't be, he shouldn't be there. Well, I lost half a day of skiing. I'm going to punch him out. I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to be happy. The Betches Sub Podcast. A speaker has not been elected. Hello, welcome to the Betches Up Podcast. I'm Amanda Duberman, the Senior Director for News and Activism at Betches. I'm Elise Morales, a comedian and writer of the Betches Sup newsletter. I'm Millie Tamaris, comedian and sub video contributor. This is where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. And a lot of topics there are. It is a big Monday. It is Met Gala Monday. It's White House Correspondents Hangover Day. It's Mental Health Awareness Month. I'm very aware of my mental health every day of every <laughs> month. It's AAPI Heritage Month. And it is May Day. Really just lots of vibes today. Which are you guys Ooh. feeling? That rent's due. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That's, oh. It's the day rent's due. And yeah, I don't know absolutely. about your building, but my building sends emails. They're letting yeah. you know a few days before on May 3rd and on May 5th that rent is due. Yes, 100%. We always get the, the email and then it's like, hey, did you forget? get and I'm like no my I my husband's Venmo just hasn't hit the account yet because I forgot to transfer it so just chill out it'll be there tomorrow yes adults <laughs> in their 30s oh rent a monthly payment for where I live it is a kind of grotesque concept but is in fact the reality that we live in I don't get emails but I always get like I always wait till the first because like that makes sense. And and my husband's always like, the first is a deadline. <laughs> it's not the day you do it. It's the final day. You have to do it. So he's at my ass. No, I'm like, the, the 20th. first oh, is the day. The first, first is the day. day. Listen, come on. The fifth is, after the fifth is when the late payments start coming in. And listen, anytime before the fifth is fair, I will turn it I in should on be the pay- fifth. I should get a refund. I should get a discount for doing it before the first. Hell the fuck yes. Your, your yeah. husband. I mean, there's someone out there for anyone because we, yeah I'm just loose I had one building that uh would charge a $25 late fee which is basically nothing so, yeah relative to the rent it's kind of yeah, like okay well, my dad was like I never I would never <laughs> right, and it's like when I was like the you know when you're on a you know paycheck to paycheck it's like I'd rather go to dinner yeah <laughs> tonight and then exactly. spend a hundred bucks and then yeah. This is why it's good that I married somebody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the deadline, this fucking building. We have it. We have two microwaves. We have a non-functioning microwave built into our kitchen, and then they're just never going to replace that. We just got a new one that doesn't fit, so it's just on our island. I love Girl, New York. They I love can, New York. Listen, if there's a non-functioning microwave, they can get rent on the fifth. Okay, amen. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> this hell building. Anyway, <laughs> how are our weekends? I engaged in a little home improvement. Uh, mm. Danny's not home yet. He's stayed in Wisconsin a couple extra days. And I got out the drill and mm. I set up the drill 
and I mm. drilled new holes in my planter bed mm. so that this will know. never that happen like again. Drag. I don't think you're allowed to do that. I mm. it drew, I felt like I was like, who am I operating <laughs> this machinery? Get it? I'm sorry. I'm my TikTok feed makes me feel like you know what? I should just buy a shitty house on a lake and make it up for myself. <laughs> That's how I felt drilling three holes into a piece of plastic. I was like, well, I could do anything now. Yeah. <laughs> And I might have to borrow that drill because oh. I need to drill a hole in plastic. Oh. <laughs> well, one parade that could not be rained on was Joe Biden's at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Of course, lots of lots of. I mean, the 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 headline of this year was definitely that there were members of the cast of Vanderpump Rules, which we, <laughs> as uh, probably the biggest disappointment to our listeners, none of us are huge stands. I have I started it during Scandoval, and I have actually I'm almost up to the sixth season, and now I'm enjoying it. Okay, so. Uh, like less, it takes more than succession. Yes. I feel like succession takes a few episodes, but a few seasons. I think it's one of those things. I don't know. I mean, I think if you were watching it in real time, you appreciated it more. There were just a lot of the early seasons where I was just like, I can smell these people. And I, I don't <laughs> want to be, this is like literally lowering my vibrations as a human. But people were, people were absolutely delighted to see them. People, they were the selfie of the night, Lisa Vanderpump, Lala Kent, and Ariana Maddox. So, you know. Good for them. What were your assessment? You know, as always, I like to take advantage of when we have professional comedians. Uh, how did you feel? How did you think Joe did? And how did you think Roy Wood Jr. did at the correspondence dinner? Well, Roy Wood Jr. is one of the funniest people ever. So yes. he's so always going to deliver. I think like anytime you choose someone who's like a daily show or just like late night veteran people, that's exactly their wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. They're going to crush it. I thought Roy Wood Jr. was extremely funny. I think Joe did as well as Joe can do. He did it, Joe. Uh, He -hmm. did it, Joe. I think, like, I think he had some solid jokes in there. I just think his comedic timing is not the greatest. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like in terms of White House correspondence dinners, for the president's performance, Obama is the bar because he actually does have comedic timing though um george w bush could land a joke a little bit i remember from back in the day they were never like the best jokes in the world but he could do it definitely a sense of for all of the things he does george w bush had a sense of humor well and but i i just don't think that he would really lean in like I think Roy Wood Jr., it's exciting to see, because Roy Wood is the real deal. He is a comics comic. He's really good at his thing. He he's not putting up like a performance of blackness or anything like that. He's he doesn't make like he doesn't he never punches down. And just Mm -hmm. as someone even in the community, like very friendly, very good person. Like this is someone who works hard, is very kind. So it's just really beautiful to see people recognize the comedic genius that is Roy Wood Jr. Something that's really exciting and fun to me, Republicans, we say this all the time, are better at memes. They're better at taking internet culture. But something that really, really excites me about 2024 and about this speech is that they're leaning into dark Brandon. Yeah. They're taking the Republican fucking stupid ass meme and leaning into it. And it's like, yep, dark Brandon's here and he's going to fuck you up. So I thought that was really fun. Yeah. Joe Biden isn't a comedian, so he's not. <laughs> but I think, again, he did as best as he could. And and I just don't think that <clears throat> 
Trump could not even get anywhere close to having people joke about him, making those jokes himself, all that stuff. George Bush, he could land jokes, but I feel like there even would be a limit to like what you could say about him. Well, George Bush had the very, very famous White House Correspondents' Dinner where they booked Stephen Colbert, not really realizing who Stephen Colbert was or what his character was. Or it I was can't like believe this, that. It, it was truly this insane miscommunication around literally what the fuck Stephen Colbert's whole deal was during the Bush presidency. And Stephen Colbert, if you can ever go back and watch that monologue, it is brutal. And George Bush is just literally sitting. Everyone is sitting there like, oh, my God. And he does his full shtick. He pulled not one punch. And it was quite intense. So I feel like, and then the next year, I think they got like, I don't know, that guy who does like the puppets or whatever it is. <laughs> Jeff like, Dern- yeah, Dunham. Dunham. Like, Lena not- Dunham's father, Jeff. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's kind of the interesting thing about a Trump one is like, number one, I mean, a lot of people say Trump's villain origin story of wanting to be president was yes. du- was Obama making fun of him. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other layer is like, Trump definitely, like, he has jokes. Like, he can tell a funny joke that he does mean to be a joke. I don't even mean just incidentally that he's funny. He can tell a joke. I don't know how he would do with, like, a written set of jokes. Mm -hmm. No. And there's no world in which he could sit through, even if they got like a conservative, like a Greg Gutfield or whatever, who does the like Fox News Mm -hmm. fake daily show or whatever. I don't think that he could sit for one moment through one single joke that poked fun at him in any way, shape or form. And I don't even know. I, I truly don't know who they would have even gotten to give the speech during his time. Yeah. It was just yeah. never going to happen with his like relationship yeah. with the press. And I did feel a sense as I was watching it just to close this that like it did feel especially because like you said Joe can he can kind of take anything and he was having a good time with it. It did feel a li- kind of powerful and first amendmenty like this is important for the world to see that the leader of the free world can be roasted. Um, pretty, pretty in, in an edgy manner at times and, and be fine with it. And Roy Wood will be fine. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. not going to face yeah. any, any persecution. And that felt, um, that felt pretty noteworthy. And I did appreciate that Roy Wood had, he had a good bit about um, Kamala Harris that I, that I enjoyed that didn't feel like you thought it was going to be, he was like, people say Kamala doesn't do anything. And she was like, Oh God. <laughs> and then he went on to say, of course she fucking does. And like listed everything. And that felt like a good moment, especially in front of the press that I think doesn't do uh, as, as good of a job covering her and what she does do. But if, if you enjoyed, if you enjoy comedy, Millie, where can you find more comedy? Yes, thank you, Amanda. <laughs> um, I have my solo show this Woo-woo. Saturday at Union Hall. Saturday, people. Saturday. Saturday. Yes, I had to wait a long time to get a Saturday <laughs> night at Union Hall, but I did, and it's at 7 p.m. And please, please, please buy tickets. Please come out. Class clown finalist. Uh, it's again, a great show. The great show. The video you put up today of the show is really good. Who made that for you? 
Oh my God. If I tell you that there's this teen in Venezuela who makes <laughs> Well, they videos. nailed it. Yeah. Good for no, them. No, literally, like, he's awesome. He literally lives in Venezuela. The money I give him for videos probably changes his life. Yeah. Like, he's awesome. I know. Check I know. out that video because it's it's a great show. And if you like Millie on the podcast, you'll love your special. Yeah. Yes, yes. And and it'll be better because I don't have to break up with someone right after. <laughs> hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. All right, another dramatic pivot for us for our main news segment today. We want to focus on the recent wave of anti-trans and anti-LGBTQ attacks, specifically kind of as they relate to Republicans in the 2024 election. You know, we, we talk about these trans issues all of the time. And I guess, you know, every time we sort of have a big bucket conversation, we'll apply a slightly different lens. And I think I think what's been coming up a lot lately is specifically to me how they are kind of abandoning, pretending like they never cared abortion. Us, abortion? Not have abortions? We don't care. And suddenly their, their enemy number one is a young child in some red state that might question their gender identity. So far, 45 states, famously we have 50, have proposed anti-trans bills in 2023. A number of them, dozens have passed it. The contents of these bills relate to trans youth in sports, access to gender-affirming care, use of public facilities, and more. Some recent examples here. So a judge is currently reviewing a Missouri rule that is different because it wouldn't just ban trans kids from accessing gender affirming care. It would it would ban adults. Like even Oof. even other Republicans in Missouri are like we think. Well, it's kind of rich because they're like we think adults should be able to make decisions about their bodies. And it's like, do you, sir? Interesting. The party of small uh, government yeah, yeah. has struck in again. <laughs> This, we should make that a sound and just play yeah. it like <laughs> <laughs> small government yeah. back. This rule didn't even go through the legislature. It was imposed by the Republican state attorney general. This guy says that the rule is necessary to shield minors. Again, this does uh, involve adults, but he says it's to shield minors from what he describes as experimental medical treatments, which is what a lot of them say. They're like, these are experimental when you're not talking about necessarily gender affirmation surgery, they're like puberty blockers and sex hormones, experimental, too new. We don't know, which is just so fucking rich because you've been shoving them down our throats via oral contraceptive for yeah. decades. And as much as, of course, we want oral contraceptive to be available, I think a lot of us know that they there there should be better options than, than medications that make a lot of us feel very badly. So it's just like, of course, suddenly now you're like hormones. 
oh no, doctors decide and no doctors say, you know, these, these are approved for this treatment, which is important to note. The barrier to entry for getting any type of gender-affirming treatment is incredibly high here. The rules require doctors to confirm that a patient has experienced an intense pattern of gender dysphoria. That, in general, I think is agreed upon, but this says for at least three years. Um, A lot of people, once they come out or decide that they're going to pursue living as their authentic self, like, yeah, you might have your first touch point with a therapist or with a counselor or with the medical system at a certain point, but you, you've you been experiencing likely gender dysphoria for much longer. So I'm not really sure when that three years starts. Um, I think the point is just to prohibit people from accident at all. They also want people to receive 15 hourly sessions with a therapist over at least 18 months, which again, these things like there are, there are good reasons to like have help. This is a really intense life experience, but people are capable of doing that and making, making that schedule with their doctors. This one is very funny to me because also in order to provide treatment in Missouri to kids or adults, doctors would also have to ensure that psychiatric symptoms from mental health issues be treated and resolved. I said this in morning announcements last week, but like having America tell you to solve your mental health issues is like having your mom tell you to solve your body image issues. Like <laughs> that's not happening. As long, what are you talking about? Any if, if nobody is going to fully resolve their mental health issues, it's just a bizarre thing to put into a legal or like imposable document. Well, also, especially if it's the cause. <laughs> Exactly. It's going to be really hard to resolve your mental health issues if you are experiencing intense gender dysphoria and you're not allowed to get treatment. You're never going to resolve them. All of this is particularly insidious in a country where mental health care is not freely accessible, where health care in general is not freely accessible. And therapy, uh, psychotherapy, all of that stuff is some of the most expensive and difficult to access. So it's... and trans people are often, you know, they still are not fully protected at work and in all these other places. So it's like you're taking a population that's a lot more likely to have income instability, telling them you have to establish three years of psychiatric care. That's a lot of money. And time. Three years of psychiatric care is tough. I mean, you're, this is what you're saying for it's anybody. It's tough for anyone. <laughs> I mean, I'm barely doing it. <laughs> it's tough. It's expensive. It's expensive. And like, honestly, a lot of therapists don't work with your insurance. Like, there's just mm-hmm. a lot of barriers in place that are really difficult for someone to overcome. And also, I mean, I've never personally experienced gender dysphoria, but my understanding is that it's a very, very serious condition that trans people, like they take their own lives as a result of gender dysphoria. So to say you have to experience this for three years before we're going to let you get treatment. Like if you think about any other serious mental health condition to tell someone you have to go untreated for this for three years before we're going to let you access mood stabilizers or whatever other treatment they would need. Like that is putting people's lives at risk in a really, really major way. And this this rule also opens people say opens people up to adults who are already experiencing it for that to be pulled. the The people in charge of the rule are trying to say no, no, no. You could still take it, but it's like there's nothing in here that guarantees us that. Well, and this is why, like when people, this is why it's harmful when journalists like Barry Weiss or whatever like report on 
oh, all these numbers of kids who are, you know, are transitioning and detransitioning and like they're just giving out puberty blockers like crazy. Like in order for you to get this kind of treatment, already the barriers are so difficult. It requires parents really, really advocating and even still the wait list at these hospitals and all of these things are like, it's just not practical. And it is just this new scare tactic and this new moral panic, as Michael Hobbs, like one of my favorite journalists likes to say, when we talk about representation in media and, and, and showing like different kinds of stories and stuff like this is why, because people don't understand what this is or, or, or maybe don't see many trans people in their daily lives. And they're able to like engage in these myths. I just had a really difficult conversation with my brother's ex-wife she's my sister-in-law they were together for over 20 years and you know I personally you know this is like a thing where like you know I'm seeing my niece she's like 14 15 and she's just getting very involved in ROTC stuff and like doing police academy stuff and the other day it was take your daughter to work day and I saw her on my social media thing with a gun like because she was uh, doing her take your daughter to work day with like the airport police because we have a family member whatever and that really like scared me and I was like hey like what do you think about bringing her to New York and all this stuff and like I want to expose my niece to like queer people and trans people and then when I said trans people it was like the conversation switched and it was it was all these super right wing talking points. She's like, I don't believe trans people. It's just, and it's just so interesting how somebody in my life could be like red pills into yeah. these harmful stereotypes. The core of her argument, which is what I feel like is what Republicans are preying on is like, you know, I love, this is what she said. I love queer people. I love, like, I know this and this and that, but it's just going too far. It's just being too much. It's just this and that. It's just like, what is it going to stop? Like, is bestiality next? And I'm like, you don't understand. Like, this is the same thing that people said about gay marriage. This is the same thing that people said in the 70s about women with credit cards. They said the same things about interracial marriage interracial marriage exactly like these are the same arguments and then she's like no i i love trans people i just don't think that they should be using the same and i'm like well actually if you if you want to restrict bathrooms or sports or anything you actually don't it's good to show these things are cyclical and they will just keep subbing in new things and finally just back to your original talking point amanda about how like Everyone's concerned about hormones, like with, with whatever and like hormone blockers and all this stuff. Like, let's not act like hormones are the fucking core of women's care. If you have acne, if you have endometriosis, that's if you have gender fucking, affirming care. That's gender affirming care, but they just throw hormones at you like fucking crazy and they don't care. Like that is mm -hmm. what like women's health has been stopped and started at fucking hormones. So it's like if we're so scared of hormones now, then we should like we should have a bigger conversation about it. So one of the things that we did see, especially around gay marriage, which I remember from those debates the big, I remember the big thing was like, so what? You can marry a dog. I can marry my horse. <laughs> like they take it to this crazy place. That's not even a real thing. Like, and I feel like we see it now where they're like, I even had a relative who's like a liberal relative be like, well, there are kids who are identifying as cats at school. And I'm like, Yikes. that's <laughs> not true. 
Honestly, there's a long and storied history of there being one weird cat girl at every elementary school. Sure. One chick was like, I identify as a cat now. Yeah. At, at every elementary school, there's one little girl who thinks she's a cat, but that is a different <laughs> She read Animorphs. She hasn't been groomed. But this seems to be, I mean, this, as we're talking about, it's definitely something that they see to sort of be working for them in 2024 because what they, they do know that a lot of people don't know any trans people. That's because mm. it is a very, very small portion of the population. They just sort of mm. like to amplify it. These Republicans are going to try to find these areas where liberals and independents feel some type of way or or have a reaction. Like Nikki Haley said, what did she say? She said that transgender girls participating in school sports, she referred to it as the women's rights issue of our time. It is absolutely fucking not. That is That is idiotic. That's J.K. Rowling shit. Exactly. I do worry. Because that's how she always frames it is like, it's about women. It's about women's rights, like it, it, which is very interesting. I think that's working on a lot of people. I think that's working on a lot of people. I think that's working on a lot of moms of girls. Republicans are, first of all, just amplifying the incidence of this. Like they're acting like toddlers are somehow finding – uh, gender doctors going to them without their parents and saying, please give me a surgery to change my genitals on a massive scale. This is not happening. What is happening with kids if they if this is if they are experiencing intense gender dysphoria? First of all, I love how they're banning it in red states as if those are like the homes to like I know there are liberals and kind and compassionate people everywhere, but it's mm -hmm. like good luck getting your parent in in Idaho to, to to bring you to the doctor anyway. And again, plenty probably will, but you're already having that that barrier. Well, I saw a TikTok over the weekend and this a trans woman just she was like she's in her like early 20s now and she was like puberty blockers bought me time like so that I could stay alive so I didn't feel so dysphoric that I was going to I needed I didn't want to live anymore and it's counterintuitive I guess because if Republicans what they really want to do is delay um people making a decision about surgical procedures I've also heard plenty of people say my ability to access hormones and puberty blockers made it feel like that was that waiting period was doable. Like the fact yeah. that I could stop this from happening and I could control um, my how I looked phenotypically made it feel like I could sort of start to process things, go on that journey, and maybe um, you know decide later if that was going to be part of my transition. Well, I think that's also an important point that a lot of like that gets hidden is that when we're talking about puberty blockers and that kind of thing, those are reversible things. So I think that like a lot of people hear that and because, you know, it is a relatively new thing, they don't realize that by that, that is actually a reversible situation where when you stop taking the medication, puberty will onset as it normally would. So there's a lot of education that it that needs yeah. to take place, yeah. I think that is really, you know, that needs to break through, which is really for those of us who are allies to trans people, that is a really difficult aspect of all of this because people, I think, don't understand medically all the different stuff. I'm not even saying that. I personally understand mm -hmm. medically everything. I think also one of the things it, that a lot of these laws is trying to do is like, yes, trans people are actually a relatively small portion of the population, but 
these laws also want to prevent trans people from being able to come out and from being able to come out safely because that makes it even more likely that you are not going to know a trans person or you are not Mm -hmm. going to know a non-binary person. Because with gay rights, if you look at that, once gay people started to feel safer and safer to come out, once you started to have families with gay people who said, I, who felt comfortable to come out to their family, mm-hmm. felt comfortable to come out in their workplace. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, more and more people actually do know a gay person. And even mm-hmm. though they are a smaller portion of the population than heterosexual people, it really moved the needle. I, I mean, we've talked about it on the podcast. Like Things did feel like they moved very quickly. And I think a lot of that is to do with the fact that any family can have a gay person in it. Any person can find out that their friend is actually gay or that their coworker that they respect is actually gay. And when that starts happening for trans, non-binary, any gender non-conforming person, then that's going to be what shifts people's ideology. And they say, well, like, oh, well, actually, it would be crazy for Lisa to have to use the men's restroom. You know, like when you actually know someone in your Mm -hmm. life who Mm -hmm. is trans and has transitioned and you actually think about like, no, that would be dangerous for her. Like that would be so weird to see her Mm -hmm. in in a men's restroom or whatever. And I think the other thing that sucks about all of it is I think there are really genuine questions about like gendered categories in sports in awards and all of this stuff. Like how do we want to handle that stuff going forward? There's a non-binary actor from yellow jackets who just pulled out of consideration from the Emmys because all the categories are gendered. As long as they keep the conversation ridiculous and in this place where that's not even happening, we can't actually work through the real questions that we have to figure out about, you know, just how things are changing in society. So it's like, it's all part of their plan to keep it in this very silly, absurd place that's not rooted in reality at all. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com. Newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. (laughs) 
Next for our main news segment today, we're going to chat about the potential writer's strike that might be coming uh, any day now by tomorrow at midnight. Members and allies of the Writers Guild of America could begin striking as soon as midnight on Tuesday. So who is trying to come to an agreement here? On one end, you have Hollywood studios, networks, streamers, and people who distribute the content. They're represented by the Association of Motion Pictures and Television Producers. On the other side, you have television and movie writers who are members of the Writers Guild of America. What's that issue is sort of, you know, a lot of things, uh, a lot of things that have come up in terms of how you do that job in a modern age since the last writer's strike. It has a lot to do with compensation for writers and a changing media landscape. The WGA and its members say that it's just increasingly more difficult to make a living as a writer despite massive growth of the industry due to streaming. So, Millie and Elise, you both are close to this industry. How how are writers compensated for streaming and why is that like different or unfair? And just sort of more broadly, what is the sort of chief ask with this potential looming strike? Yeah. So before when TV shows like it used to be more common before streaming, it used to be more common for a TV show or a sitcom. Like for example, like now we see Abbott Elementary, like that style was more common in TV where it was 22 episodes and it goes like a long, more consistent schedule. It's just very difficult. But the reward is that you get this minimum wage per week as a writer. So the minimum wage right now is about $3,600 to $4,000 a week, which sounds like a lot of money. And when you're doing 22 episodes, you know, writing, you're, you're working for most of the year, you know, and it will, that money is to account for all the time off. And usually too, back in the day when there was uh, sitcoms, they would have different people, like 20 writers or 10 writers or 12 writers. Now, uh, on top of like that abridged smaller season, they're only having, you know, five writers and six writers. So again, or, or, you know, look at me and Elise are people who've been working in comedy for a long time and we're trying to break in. But then we're also competing with someone who's written on two seasons of Bridgerton. If you're on Abedal or you have a sitcom and it plays on TBS, ABC, and blah, blah, blah. Every time it plays, you get a fraction of a penny of ad sales. But when it goes on streaming, you get nothing. There's more projects, but each room is less time. So now instead of working for 20 weeks, you're working for seven or five or eight, and you're not getting residuals. And to get to your next show is more gaps because they're making the room smaller. These are all like big issues that are happening. I know Elise has thoughts too. I watched Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, right, as a kid. But I watched it. The show had already ended by the time Mm -hmm. I watched every single episode. But they would just rerun the entire season over Mm -hmm. and over and over again. And you could catch it all the time. A lot of shows that, like, I watched as a kid actually, like, ended in, like, 1992. Like, before I was even old enough to watch them. But I watched them because they moved to these other networks. And the networks would play them. And writers would get basically a decent salary. I think it was like, if I'm remembering, it's like half of their writer's fee they would get in residuals from the reruns. Mm -hmm. Now on streaming, residuals, your check will literally be for seven cents. Actors on Friends, Seinfeld, whatever, they were set for life from residuals alone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Once your show went into syndication and it was showing that much, you straight up, never had to work again because of the residuals that you would get from Mm -hmm. just the reruns now now when you you'll get your residuals checks i 
I shit you not, I have one right in front of me. I'll show it to you. It's for 98 cents. Yeah, I got $8 for five episodes of something that I wrote for, uh, um, you know, when I wrote on the dating game for something on streaming, $8. Yeah, and and I think to whatever extent people can get residuals for streaming. Remember a couple months ago, maybe six months ago now, when a lot of shows mysteriously went away from their platforms? That was so that those those networks and platforms could pinch a couple pennies by so not have to by pay. not paying people the small amount that they were getting and then people couldn't watch these shows. So what's going to happen? Now uh, that was a beautiful explanation. I feel like people are really now invested and understand the ask and and why this is necessary. Another interesting part of it is just the AI element of it. Obviously they see that coming. A specific thing is like, okay, if I have an idea for a script and you have AI write it, you know, how is that going to work? So what's going to happen if they don't reach an agreement before the deadline on Tuesday night? Which seems it seems fairly likely that this could go to a work stoppage. Shows mm-hmm. are written and recorded many months in advance. So like not everything we see on TV would be immediately affected. What would be our shows produced day to day with writers like late night shows and Saturday Night Live and they're at the end of their season. So without writers, they're not finishing their season. The last stoppage was in 2008 and it lasted three and a half months and had a huge impact, like a years long impact on the industry. It did allow writers to secure pay structures that still benefit them today. So what do you think like What's the immediate impact going to be? Just the late night shows being really loose again? Um, I mean, immediate impact that every one of us will be able to see are the late night shows, the SNLs, things that are written, pop culture, whatever. Mm -hmm. Behind the scenes, I mean, it is a huge, you know, production stops on a ton of different stuff because – even if your show is already in production, writers are still necessary throughout the entire process because rewrites get made and stuff and all of that stuff. So anything that's in the writing stage right now, anything that's working on its next season, that fully stops. A lot of stuff that is filming will stop because they won't have the writers on set to be able to make adjustments, whatever, or the quality of it will get crazy bad, which like there's if, if like, there are a bunch of articles about shows that went off the rails in the last writer's strike. It's the reason why the second season of Friday Night Lights is all crazy. Insane. That boat. <laughs> three episodes on a boat. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Landry kills someone. Like it's <laughs> things. They're like, no, the Spoilers. comedic relief should commit murder. Um, <laughs> but it um, and then, you know, as some as someone who's more on the acting side of things like I'm not going out for auditions. I know Millie had a bunch of meetings that she was going to take that are nice. canceled because there's no point in having those meetings when there's a writer's strike ongoing and we don't know where it's going to be. And Millie, will you, will you those- that's because even though you're not in the WGA, are you? No, I could have been. But it's just sort no. of like yeah. a in solidarity with the striking writers, you can't be a scab and provide writing. You give these studios, production offices, these these networks a sample or you give a spec script or something and they review it and they see like, oh, wow, we love Millie's voice. We want to give her a show or, oh, wow, we want to see this or we want to see that. If you're not a member of the WGA, you don't have the protection, the insurance mm-hmm. or the minimum wage that they've guaranteed, you know, which is what these or getting residuals at all. These are all things that the WGA has uh 
fought for. And what I will say when we're talking about what's going to change, yeah. reality, we're going to see a lot of reality TV. Unscripted. A lot yeah. of it. That's Especially if unscripted. it lasts long. Yeah. Yeah, because that's what happened. That was like the boom that was like a result mm-hmm. of the 2007, 2008 um, work stoppage. But when you're wondering why it's going to take five seasons or like mm-hmm. a year to get your next season of your favorite show out, this is why. Like it's going to yeah. affect things in the future. And there's yeah. just a ton of people, you know, in addition to the actors who won't be working, there's like entire crews. I mean, Hollywood is an industry that is more than just like the shiny people at the top. It's fucking lighting guys and hair and makeup and costume design and gaffers and people like PAs, like the Mm -hmm. entire industry for anything that's, I, I mean, people will be trying to get jobs in unscripted stuff, which is reality TV and all of that for right now. Mm-hmm. But like, like everyone who works on set, set designers, all of these mm-hmm. people are now also put on pause. Yeah, it's like a, a more, it's like 2 million jobs. people that could yeah. be yeah, impacted it's, it's by this. Yeah, it's a lot. And, yeah. It's yeah. a lot. And just as you're watching, a reminder that, you know, it's really going to be up to the studios and, and, and those people when this ends because – as they've been laying people off, they have not really cut their own salaries. So thank you for that. No, context. and what we'll the writers be- are asking for is reasonable. Like Seth Meyers did a really good uh, monologue on his last show. He be basically being like, "If we don't come back, it's because of this." And what the writers are asking for is reasonable. Awesome. And I really think that the ultimate thing that this comes down to is something that even com- we talk about in terms of laws now is just that like. The industry has not changed the way it works to reflect the internet age and the fact that people are not watching sitcoms on cable Mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. People are watching the highest rated best shows unless you're Abbott Elementary, which was like one of the biggest things about Abbott Elementary was that it brought back this almost dead medium of the 22 episode season series sitcom on a major network. Like every other show that you're thinking of pretty much is a streaming show Mm -hmm. and the industry is still built as if most jobs are this old way of doing things. So like the producers, the MPA, whatever, like they're being extremely greedy in this. And what the writers are asking for is truly just for an adjustment to reflect what is actually going on in the industry. Now we are absolutely thrilled to move on to our inaugural edition of our new segment, Listener Town Hall. This is where we invited you to call in your comments, your queries, your observations, and anecdotes for our edification or our discussion. I had a chance to quickly look this morning. I looked really quickly. So like, don't worry if we didn't get to you today. We're going to get to most of them. We wanted to have like a deep catalog, but you guys delivered. There's some tea in there that's like too hot that we're still trying to figure out (laughs) legally. But um, we got some great introductory ones that we wanted to play because they kind of connected to our topic. So can we play the first one? Hey, this is Emily from Iowa. And I thought you guys might be interested to know that in reaction to the Dylan Mulvaney Bud Light thing, Sarah Huckabee Sanders has released a line of koozies with conservative women's faces on them, one of whom is my lovely governor, Kim Reynolds, who herself has two DUIs. 
if I had a DUI, I probably wouldn't want my face on something that's meant to hold an alcoholic beverage on the go. But, you know, Kim's a little different. Kim is a little different. Shall we discuss this? This is true. Apparently, she might have had a third one, but that would have made her a felon. She, Kim Reynolds, like is kind of out of step with her Republican colleagues in that she has advocated for former felons to be able to vote. And she has said that her alcohol addiction and like these two DUIs made her uh, feel that way, which is weird why she suddenly was happy to promote the real women of politics beer koozies. So for a minute, I was like, let me look into this. Has she been contrite? And she's like, obviously, she struggles with alcohol and she's open about that. And that's honorable. But then to share these beer can koozies, I don't know, Kim, she's different. Yeah, that is very funny. I did not know that about her. Part of me wonders if Sarah Sanders just like kind of made these exactly and with zero like she does not seem like someone who is putting a lot of thought and care into these. They look really goofy. They came with an insane theme song that she released of like <laughs> like real women koozies or whatever. So I, my feeling is probably that Sarah Huckabee Sanders just like put her on the koozie and Kim Reynolds was like, Oh, I can either like promote the koozie or like get involved in some kind of weird thing with Sarah. And I don't feel <laughs> like having drama in our like real women group chat. So I guess I'll just promote the koozie. Yeah. I mean, there's probably not that many women governors Republicans can choose from one and two. Again, you know, Republicans are, good at being responsive and like responding to what's trending on the internet and stuff. But because they don't have this fear of getting canceled that Democrats have, they don't think things through. They don't think execution through. It looks sloppy. It looks stupid. And they don't even, they're not thinking about it. So when shit like this happens where it's like, Oh, the woman that you're promoting alcohol, like, has two DUIs. It's like, yeah, these are things that would be flagged if you took two other days to do it. it. But, you know, then it would lose virality. But then at the same time, that's why that's why Democrats don't respond to every fucking thing. The three of us live in a milieu where it's like, I know a lot of people that don't drink anymore. I've learned, like you asked, do you want to go to coffee? Like, it's just something that you are careful about and respectful about because it's a, it's a stingy spot for people. Um, and yeah, it, it is interesting that their refusal, they're sort of like snowflake, like we're not bothered by anything. Like I am, I would also suspect, like you said, Elise, that her team saw this. She saw this and was like, what the fuck? Like, what? I can't have my face on a koozie. But like you said, it was more trouble than it was worth to like cause a fight. <laughs> yeah. It was more beneficial to her to be transphobic than to like be thoughtful about something that she actually has a previous record of being pretty thoughtful about. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't even like outwardly trans. Like, I mean, not that I'm asking for them to be outwardly transphobic, but it wasn't even a one-to-one. -one. I mean, this is what we talked about on Thursday, but it wasn't even a one-to-one. -one. It was something <laughs> kind of mildly. So it's like, if you're going to be mildly biting and mildly satirical about this thing, then why don't you just take why don't you just mildly pick another fucking governor? And also, right. just DUIs in general, it's just kind of like, I know that Uber is not available everywhere. Like, it's harder to get in other places. But if you're the fucking governor... This was way before. Like, it was She was, yeah, like, in her 20s. Okay, whatever. I'm just like, you can organize. There is ways to get around, you know, drinking and driving. And it's fucking wrong. And many people have died. And there's a reason why it's illegal. And it's really fucked up. Yes. I'm just all PR, bad PR move, bad sensitivity move. 
Uh, we have one more that is just a very quick kind of like commentary. Thanks for calling. Yeah, that yes. was perfect. That was exactly what we're looking for. <laughs> Should we play the next one? Yes. Hi, my name is Sean. I am from the San Bernardino, California area. First of all, I love you ladies. You guys are great. You're truly the mothers of dragons. So thank you for all this you do. You are doing the Lord's work. My question is this. How is it that the GLP party is so anti-gay and so anti-queer, but yet they give Lindsey Graham's and George Santos a pass? So I wanted to get your opinion on why those two, who obviously are gay, even even if they're in the closet about it, a.k.a. Lindsey Graham, um, and even George Santos has done drag, why are those two getting a pass when the GOP is so anti-queer? Thank you. That's a great, That's a great question. question. Thank you, Sean. Great question. Um, Mothers of dragon. <laughs> I know. I was like, I'll take that. Um, okay. My first thought is that I think in the same way with like we see with women's rights, like I think that if you are willing to align with their agenda and push their agenda and get in line with whatever it is they're doing, they don't actually give a shit. I think that it's it kind of goes to like, the hypocrisy and shallowness of the beliefs in general, Mm -hmm. like that what they really care about is just that you're going to fall in line and vote the way that they want you to vote. They would be madder and they do get more angry at a member of their party who defects in some way. I'm thinking about like a Mitt Romney who would like Mm -hmm. vote to impeach Trump. That bothers them more than... (laughs) George Santos, a.k.a. Anthony DeVolder, <laughs> a.k.a. Kitara Ravash, mm-hmm. as long as he stays in line and votes for, you know, anti-trans bills as they come up, as long as he votes against drag queens as it comes up because he's as craven and hypocritical as shit as they are, that's all they actually care about. They don't actually care about the reality of his life yeah and it's the same thing i would say with people of color in the republican party and being black or being south asian or asian or anything like that like they actually you know they have a lot of racist policies they will push anybody through that falls in line look at herschel walker it's the same idea that i think when when you meet somebody and they're like oh i used to really hate feminists but you're cool or i used to this and this and that but you're cool and it's just like it's they're like limited exposure to these um these people but at the end of the day it's about enriching themselves yeah it also gives them a little bit of cover too for them to say like absolutely we're not we're not an anti-gay party we have george Santos. Yeah, yeah. We have George Santos. We're not uh, anti-black. We have Tim Scott as one. Sen- we have one senator or whatever. Like we have. Look at our real women koozie line. How can you say that we hate women? Like it. It does provide them a little bit of cover, but those people have to be willing to work towards their goals ultimately. Yeah. And I also think, and you both, to close this out, you both touched on this. I think national politicians, especially national Republicans, do not generally hold the same beliefs as these like weird, I say grassroots in a bad way, these like grassroots extreme uh, anti-gay ideas, because you do probably have some nut job in Missouri who is mad at Mitch McConnell for not like for not trying to expel George Santos for being gay or for not making a bigger deal about how 
Lindsey Graham is very likely a closeted gay man. Like you see, you know, people like Jeff Flake being like, these people don't yell at each other in committee meetings. Like, I don't want to erase how, how, how dangerous their impact is, like how racist mm-hmm. their impact is and how homophobic their impact is. And with regard to race, I think a lot of them are, a lot more of them are probably racist than homophobic. But I just think it's the, it's the, it's the hypocrisy, as we said at the beginning. Like, I don't really think that Mitch McConnell is homophobic. I don't think Mitch McConnell has a problem with gay people. I don't think a lot of those Republicans do, but it's just what gets them elected. It's not like, like Millie said, it's to help anyone that's going to be complicit with them, to help them pursue. It's not even their agenda. It's the agenda they think is going to get elected because it, you know, it, it keeps changing. Like, of course, Republican women have had abortions, but nobody's like, nobody's going to ask them and do the purity test because that's not what benefits them. They'll take who they can get because they don't genuinely care that much. Well, also, I mean, again, a lot of the Republican uh, policies and a lot of the Republican thing is this whole white replacement theory and white supremacy and anti-Semitism and all that shit. Mitch McConnell's wife is Asian. Exactly. Like, yeah, like all of these people, like Clarence Thomas is in an interracial marriage, you know, yeah, but exactly. he's, but it, but the thing is, like, y- all of these people have to do business in 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 DC, and exactly. that's the thing. It's they like live in you DC. cannot. They can. They all live in DC at least part of the time. You cannot do business in Washington DC without encountering black people, Jewish people, people. You know what I mean? Queer people, and it's just like, yeah. The, again, like just to reiterate, like the national politicians, mm-hmm. they don't give a shit. Right. But, you know, I mean, but that's why they all hail, you know, hailed and fall in line with Trump because Trump does like have that connection with the nut jobs. Yeah. So to answer your question, Sean, it is because these national politicians will be competing for gold in Paris for the mental gymnastics world championship. (laughs) Those are perfect examples of what we're looking for. So if you have more like that, call 212-287-5244. Like I said, if you don't hear yours right away, we're going to, if you noticed, we kind of did these topically since we had that uh, trans and LGBT conversation. So we might continue to do that. Thank you so much. That is our show. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Millie Tamaris. And this is the Betches Up Podcast. The Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duerman, Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales Pico, and Rebecca Sasmacat. Editing by Rebecca Sasmacat. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails at SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.